couple of years ago, uh, the city of New York um, passed, worked on passing a law that they thought was going to combat the problem of obesity uh, in New York and across our country, and it was called the Big Gulp Law. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but basically what they tried to do is to say that restaurants couldn't have cups that were bigger than 16 ounces um, to sell soda in, uh, and that that way kids wouldn't drink as much soda and everything was going to be okay. Uh, the problem with this law is that it didn't affect like gas stations, uh, it didn't affect 20-ounce drinks, like all that it affected was if like you're at Wendy's, you couldn't get a cup that was bigger than 16 ounces. But the problem with that is, guess what? Wendy's has free refills, Right? So like the one place where you can get re- free refills is the one place where they made this law saying that the cups couldn't be bigger. So people were like, great, I don't have to spend as much money on a big cup, but I still get free refills. And so they were taking a Band-Aid and putting it on a big problem of obesity uh, that is in our country, and that is a serious thing that we have to deal with. We do this in so many different areas of life where we see a big problem And we try and combat it in such a small way that it doesn't have any effect at all or sometimes even makes things worse. Um, Maybe we're late on a bill and so we pay it with a credit card, putting it off until later but earning more interest on it eventually. Or we have a problem in our marriage and guys, instead of dealing with the issue, we just go buy our wives flowers and hope that that's going to be the thing that's going to take care of it. And even in our walk with the Lord, we're constantly putting band-aids on things that need to be dealt with in a serious manner. We may realize that we have financial sin in our life, and so we listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio. Or we know that we struggle with things that we look at on the computer, so we get a filter. We organize our lives because we know that we struggle with laziness, or we get apps for the Bible on our phone to help us make sure that we're reading God's Word. And hear me, like those things are good things, but they're not combating the real issue that is in our heart and that is causing problems in every single one of those areas, and it's a problem that we can't ignore. And the problem that each of us have isn't all of those issues, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that we have a worship problem. We talked about the Ten Commandments a little earlier in this series, and you probably remember that the first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3, God says to his people, you shall have no other gods before me. And God is declaring and saying that he wants us to be sure that he is always first in our hearts, that he is always above all else, and God is before all things, and God is above all things, and God deserves to be in that position in our hearts. And if we could just keep that first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, the truth is we would never break the last nine. But the fact that we're breaking the last nine is proof of the fact that we struggle to keep the first and we struggle to keep God in the position that he should be in our hearts. And what we call this is a problem of idolatry. It is putting other things into our heart where God should be reigning wholly and completely. You see, we were created to be worshipers. And we are all worshipers, and we are all worshiping all of the time. And the heart is a factory of worship, constantly worshiping, constantly desiring, and constantly running after a thousand different things. 
And what God desires is God desires to be king in our heart. God desires to be above all in our heart. But sadly, we let other things get in the way and other things sit in his throne and in that position so often. And so as we approach 1 Kings chapter 11, you're going to see this morning that we're kind of at another broken point for the people of Israel. And as we've been walking through uh, the Old Testament, through this whole story, uh, you've seen this happen over and over and over again. And we've mentioned idolatry before because idolatry is an ongoing issue for the people of Israel. They can't let it go. They're constantly running after other things. But I think it's fitting for us today to be looking into it because I don't believe that if we really investigate our hearts and if we really examine ourselves that we're very different from the people of Israel. We're constantly running after other things when God is desiring to have our full and complete attention. And so if you've heard some of what we talk about today, bear with me. I think there's some some good principles that we can tag onto and apply at the end. But I hope that we are able today to allow the Spirit of God to examine our hearts and that we open ourselves to let Him do the work of seeing these idols that are in our, in our lives. We, we talk a lot about the gospel here at Church Cambe. We talk a lot about worship, and we just had an incredible time declaring that God is good, that he is with us, that he walks with us through difficulty. And that is why he deserves to be worshiped above all else. But what we miss a lot of times is the fact that in our lives, we have these massive idols that are getting in the way of allowing us to have God where he needs to be and allowing us to worship God the way that we need to be worshiping God. And so we're going to look at the story of Solomon today, and we're going to see this in the life of Solomon. But I want to give you a little background on Solomon. Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. Chris uh, told their story last week. And so Solomon uh, comes from David and Bathsheba. And when David was getting towards the end of his life, Solomon was anointed king, and he was going to take over uh, kingship of Israel. And David passed away, and Solomon actually in the beginning really desires to be a good king. And so he comes before the Lord and he asks God for one thing. He asks God for wisdom. He desires to be a wise man who can lead God's people in the right way. And so he prays for wisdom and this pleases God. God looks at that and he says, I like that. You're not asking for wealth. You're not asking for power. And so because you're asking for wisdom, I'm going to grant it. I'm going to give you wisdom. And so Solomon became a very wise man. And he wrote a lot of the Old Testament. Uh, He wrote most of the book of Proverbs, which is probably the greatest collection of wisdom that we see uh, throughout history. We think that he wrote Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon as well. Solomon rebuilt the temple so that people could have a place to come and worship the Lord. And so we look at Solomon's life and realize there's so much good that's there and so much that he was doing right. But over time, Solomon begins to lose focus, and his heart begins to move in other areas. And so we're going to look in 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. The first thing that we're going to see is that idolatry comes from desire. Let's look in verse 1. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. 
and his wives turned away his heart. We began to see Solomon here taking steps in the wrong direction. If you look back in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, at the beginning of what we see of Solomon, there is this statement about Solomon, and it basically says that King Solomon loved the Lord. This is a declaration of who he was as he is beginning here. But as we progress to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, that transitions from King Solomon loved the Lord to King Solomon loved many foreign women. And his heart is turned away from God and is beginning to turn to women to find his hope and to put in this position in his life. And so we see a change of tone and it's progressive. But the result of it is that ultimately his desires are beginning to change and Solomon is looking elsewhere for someone to rule in his heart. And God had warned them. We see this in verse 2. He had warned the people of Israel not to do this, not to turn their hearts away from him, not to give in to idolatry and putting idols in their lives, but they are still making sure that there are other things that are getting in the way of the Lord having this position in their lives. And God knows that if their heart is on something else, then ultimately their heart is not on him where it needs to be. And so we see this phrase, of the heart turning away over and over and over again throughout this chapter because ultimately worship is a heart issue and idolatry is a heart issue. And it starts here and it begins here and it comes from the desire that's built in. So in verse three, we find out that Solomon has 700 wives and 300 concubines. I probably don't have to tell you that that's not healthy. Like, there is no way to have a good relationship with any of those women in that context. And so you can just imagine dinner, like Solomon sits down probably once every two years with one of these wives, and he's like, so sweetie, how's life been? I haven't seen you in a couple of years, but I hope things have been going well. Oh, Johnny's graduated high school now. I can't even believe that. Like, it's unbelievable, and Solomon is so far off track because he gave his heart to women and not to the Lord. And what our heart runs to is the thing that we worship. Uh, One of my favorite Christian artists, music artists, uh, was a guy named Rich Mullins. And Rich Mullins was popular in the 90s. A lot of you probably know who he is. Um, He was started out as a songwriter, and he wrote songs for like Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant, but eventually became like his own artist. He wrote some songs that probably most of us would recognize if we heard them, like Awesome God and different things. And uh, Rich Mullins was always a simple guy. But as he began to see success in his music career, uh, he noticed that his heart was beginning to turn away from the Lord and turning on to the success that he was experiencing, and he didn't like what he saw. And over time, it grew and grew and grew, and he realized that he was building up this idol of approval and this idol of success in his heart. And so he made a decision one day, and he said, you know what? I can't do it. And he said, I'm going to kill this idol, and he quit. At the height of his career, he quit the music industry. And he left and he moved to a Native American reservation to teach little kids about the gospel and about music because he wanted to make sure that his heart was about the Lord and not about everything else that was coming around his life. Guys, the truth is we all have idols in our lives. We all have things in our lives that our hearts are running after more than they're running after the Lord. But the problem is, is that we don't see them very often. They can be things like our marriage, our kids, our house, our career, our job, our beauty, our appearance. 
Throughout history, we've seen that people are constantly worshiping idols, and pagans in past times have created idols of fertility, of the sun, of their nation, of fish, of the harvest, everything you can possibly imagine, they made an idol out of it. And I would say today that while we might not build statues and we might not build shrines to idols, we are just as guilty of making idols out of everything. We are constantly looking in other directions for our love and for our affection instead of the Lord. James 1.15 says this, it says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Desire, our heart, leads us to sin, and sin ultimately points back to the fact that we have idols in our lives. Our desires are causing us to sin and proving the fact that we are people of idolatry. We've talked about this idea before, this idea of of taking things that are minor things and making them major things, taking things that God created to be good things and making them God things. And the problem with that, the problem with taking something that God has given us that's good and making it something that is a God is that it's going to break under the pressure. There's no way it can be your God. And so a lot of us are finding ourselves in the position where we put another person we put a relationship or the desire for a relationship or we put our future, whatever it is, in the seat of wanting it to be the thing that we hope for and that we desire more than everything else. And when we do that, it's going to break and fall apart every time because only God is designed to be in that seat in our heart. Everything else in this world is going to let us down. And if you try and make your children your idol, There's no way they can do it. You're going to be constantly disappointed every single time they let you down. If you put your spouse in that position, they can't handle those kinds of expectations. They're going to break, and it's not going to work every time. Only God can be God, and only God can sit in that seat in our hearts. And so I've got a a few questions, four questions, that can help us kind of identify maybe what some of the idols are that are in our lives. Number one, what do you celebrate? What are the things that you celebrate? What are the things that you talk about a lot? What are the things that maybe you post on social media about a lot? You can probably scroll back through your social media feed. And I I did this. And for me, it was really opened up my life and my heart. Like the things that we celebrate are the things that we love the most. And we have to ask ourselves the question, do I love these things more than I love God? Question number two, what do you daydream about? When you have a moment to stop and just think about whatever it is that you wish you could have in your life, what is, it that, what is it that your mind goes to? What is it that you contemplate? What do you hope in in those moments? Number three, where do you spend your money? Because the things that we love the most are the things that our money flows most freely to, that we don't have a problem giving towards. And so that's a good indicator to us of what might be an idol in our lives. Number four, how do you respond to difficulty? When something hard happens in your life and you have to respond to that, do you respond with trust in the Lord? Or do you have this ongoing period where you're frustrated or you're angry or you're depressed and you don't know how to handle it? If that's how you respond, it could be an indicator that that thing that let you down is, in fact, an idol in your life. Just like idolatry comes from desire, worship comes from desire. The more that we desire God, the more and the better our worship for God will be. 
And I could say a thousand things here, like all these steps or tips to help us worship God and grow our worship of God, but I just want to focus on one that I think is of the most important to us with this, and that is simply that we need to understand what he's done for us. We need to understand what the good news of Jesus has to say about my life. And then if we understand that God has saved us and that God has redeemed us, it will change everything. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Colossians 1 tells us that before God, we were alienated, we were off by ourselves, we were hostile in mind, meaning that we were against God, literally that we hated God and that we were at war with God. And despite of all of that and the fact that we are doing evil, God still sent his son Jesus to die so that we could be brought back into relationship with him. And who in the middle of a war where we have people raging against us comes and takes our enemy and brings them in and makes them a part of our family? That is the good news of the gospel. And if we understand just how much God loves us, just how much that is good news for us, then it changes everything about us and we will begin to desire God more than we desire everything else that this world has to offer us. If you want a good glimpse of that, Charlie talked about this earlier, but I would encourage you to sign up to be a part of our equip class. Uh, The first session in there is on gospel basics and the whole point of that is just that we understand how the gospel has influenced our life and how even today the good news of Jesus means everything to me. Means everything to me. And so sign up for that. Be a part of that, guys. We've got to grow deep in the good news of Jesus if we're going to grow in our ability to worship God. So idolatry comes from a desire. Number two, idolatry is progressive. We'll pick up in verse four. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done." So we see a transition here. Now it's not just that Solomon's heart is turned after his wives and turned after women, but he's actually beginning to have his heart turned after other gods. Solomon is making a decision to say, I am going to go and worship gods other than the one true God who has given me the position that I have, who has blessed me with wisdom. It doesn't matter. I want to worship these other gods. And he's contrasted with his father, David, who scripture calls a man after God's own heart. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Idolatry is called out clearly by scripture to be evil. And the reason is, is because God wants all of your attention. He doesn't just want part of it. He doesn't just want it on Sundays. He doesn't just want it when you're reading his word. God wants our attention every moment of every day that we are doing the things that we do in order to give him glory because he's the only one that deserves it. And for Solomon, his idolatry is progressing. It started with him marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. And eventually, before you know it, he's got 700 wives 
He stole horses from Egypt. He misused the wealth that God blessed him with. He even used slavery to build the temple and to build his own palace. And now we see Solomon bowing down at the shrines of other gods. How would he get to this point? And I would say it's because it started off so small that he didn't even notice it happening. Some of you guys may know, but I was uh, in a band for a long period of time before I came to Charleston, before seminary, uh, in my college days, and we were like mildly successful. We got to travel around the country a little bit and and made a couple albums, and it was so much fun. Um, But for me, that band started out, the goal of that was ministry. And we were really on the same page and wanting to see that God was glorified and that people would have the opportunity to hear about Jesus through what we were doing. Um, But I noticed that over time, and as we had more opportunities to do things, that's like I started to care more about the band than I cared about the glory of God through the band, if that makes sense. And so, uh, and it kind of transitioned for us all in that way. And I, I distinctly remember one night we had a concert and we were at the end and we were doing a worship song. And sometimes you're in an experience where like the glory of God is just so clear and so vivid that you can't not notice and it, and it can't not affect you. And that's what we were doing. We were on the stage and God's presence was so thick in this room that at that moment, I could clearly see that there was nothing better in the world than the glory of God and that everything that I had been running after with this band was meaningless compared to it. And God broke my heart that day. And I sat down with the guys afterwards and, and we all confessed the same thing. And we said, how do we make this right? How do we get our attention back to the Lord and not on what we are doing? And uh, a couple of years later, um, I married my wife and, and uh, wanted to move on to ministry and go to seminary. And so we moved away and I left the band. And I could leave the band easily because I had been able to see that it was an idol, confess that to God, and kill it as an idol so that I knew that God's glory was more important and what he wanted was better. But a lot of times we don't see these things because they start so small in our lives that we don't even notice that they're happening. And really, there are two types of idols. And I think it's important for us to understand this. The first one is a deep idol. And a deep idol is a desire of our heart. It's something that we don't recognize a lot. It's something that we don't necessarily notice, but it's a heart issue that's driving the sin that's in our life or driving the actions that we do or driving our worship of the Lord. These are things like the desire for approval, the desire for power, for comfort, or for control. These are the heart issues that drive the things that we do. And the second type of idol is a surface idol. And these are more the actions. These are more the things or the sins that we do in our lives. Things like money, how our money can be an idol, how our spouse can be an idol, how our house can be an idol, or our career, our kids. Uh, These are surface idols. They're more on the surface. They're easier for people to see uh, in our actions. But we don't notice those things being idols very often because they're just things that we do. And they're good things. They're things that God created for good. And so it's hard for us to understand a lot of times that they are indeed idols. But what those idols do, those surface idols do, is they feed the deeper idols of our heart. They feed the deeper desires of our heart that are really the problem behind the problem. They feed the things that are causing the idolatry uh, that is in us. Let me give you an example. So if you take money, Money is a surface idol that can feed a lot of different deeper idols. And so for some people, they may have an idol of money in their life. And for them, the idol of money is feeding a deeper idol of comfort. 
And so they go and, and spend money to buy whatever they need to make sure that their lives are comfortable, that their family is comfortable, and that they never have to feel like they're wanting for anything or needing for anything, but that they can stay comfortable. Money, though, can also feed a deeper idol of approval. If we have a need for approval in our lives, then we can, we can seek to feed that need by getting more money. And as we have more money and have more stuff, people look at us and say they've got it together and they approve of us because we're spending our money on these things. Money can also uh, feed a need um, for power. And you've probably seen this before, but someone who desires to have money just so that they gain more control and more power and feel like uh, they can kind of rule or reign over people because they have so much money. And lastly, the one that that I deal with, honestly, is that money can feed uh, an idol of control or security, of saying that, you know what, I need to have more money so that I can feel like I'm more in control of my life. I can put it in a savings account and know that it's there if I need it, but it makes me feel secure. It makes my family feel secure, and I put my hopes for security on that money instead of on the Lord. And so these surface idols are feeding these deeper idols that are in our lives, and we have to be careful because one day we're going to wake up and see that it's not just a little thing, but in fact, we have a monster in our lives of a deep idol that's desiring something else. And we may not notice that our kids might be feeding the desire for approval in our hearts when we just buy them a little toy so that they won't be mad at us. But one day, something will happen in a huge way that will make us understand uh, that we have this need for approval and that we're putting it on our kids. Or it could be that the comfort thing that you may not notice when you're doing little things around your house, and I do this all the time, that I'm making my life more comfortable and that my house has become a surface idol for my comfort, until one day you find yourself in a situation where you've got a bigger house than you'll ever need with rooms that you'll probably never even go in with every single upgraded everything, and you'll realize that you have gone into massive debt to get yourself there, and you have a monster of an idol in your life at that point in time. Why do we not notice these things? It's because they start so small and they grow and grow and grow until they become monsters. Leland Riken said this. He said, we start falling into sin long before we ever fall into disgrace. That we start small, having our heart desire these little things and these lesser things, but eventually it grows into being a monster. Not only is idolatry progressive, but worship is progressive as well. We need to take steps to make sure that we're putting God back in that right seat of our heart. We need to see the idols in our life. We need to confess them to the Lord, and then we need to kill them. And maybe it happens by us saying, you know what? I know money is is an idol for me for comfort, so I'm not going to spend money on making myself comfortable in this way anymore. Instead, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give it more to the ministry of the kingdom. Or maybe I realize that I'm putting all these expectations on my spouse and I'm making them an idol. So I'm going to start one by one, one little thing after another, taking them off of my spouse and putting them onto God and trusting him instead. Little bit by little bit, putting God back in the right seat of our lives. So idolatry comes from desire. Number two, idolatry is progressive. And lastly, idolatry is proven by our action. Picking up in verse 7, it says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, and on the mountain east of Jerusalem. 
And so he did for all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I've chosen. The ironic thing about this, we find out about these gods that Solomon has been building altars to and building shrines to. These are gods of nations that Solomon, using the power of the one true God, has gone and defeated. He has defeated these nations and he has defeated these gods with the power of God. And now that he is back, he's stepping over and he's rebuilding altars to them that he once destroyed. And he is worshiping at the altar of those things rather than worshiping God. There's great irony here, and his wives led him to do it, but he knew exactly what he was doing. It says that God appeared to him twice and warned him about this, but that he defiantly chose to worship these things instead of God. His actions were proof of his heart. He knew exactly what he was doing. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote three chapters about the dangers of forbidden women. And then he goes and he marries 700 wives. Proverbs 11.28, Solomon wrote, "'Whoever trusts in his riches will fall.'" but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And yet Solomon here is trusting in his wealth instead of trusting in his God. God's response is great though. Because yes, there is justice. There is punishment. There is discipline when we turn away from the Lord and turn our hearts to other things. And so God says this, yes, this is going to come to haunt you, not just you, but your family as well. Because when we worship other things over God, there are serious consequences. But there is also grace. Because God loved Solomon and because God loved David, he said, I'm not going to take it away in your lifetime. And I'm still going to leave your son with one tribe to be over. There might be real discipline for the idols that are in our lives. But there's also great grace. And God this morning wants to show us grace for the things that we have put in the place of him in our lives. A lot of you probably remember the story of Abraham. We spent a lot of time talking about Abraham early in the series. And God had promised Abraham that he was going to make a great nation out of him. But Abraham and his wife Sarah looked at their lives and they were like, God, how are you going to do it? We don't, we don't have any children. How are you going to make a great nation out of us? But God continued with his promise, and eventually, late in life, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a kid named Isaac. And if you remember, Isaac is the fulfillment of this great promise. And if there was ever a family who had probably the tendency to make a child an idol, it would have been Abraham and Sarah, because he was everything for their future, and he was everything for the promise of God in their lives. God realized this, and so he put Abraham to the test. And he said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. Abraham heard those words from the Lord, and he got his son, 
They went on a journey to the top of a mountain, built an altar, was putting things together because he loved God more than anything. At the last minute, God intervened and he stepped in and he said, no, I've got a ram over here that you can use instead. He wanted to see the heart of Abraham and Abraham proved that his heart was for God above everything else. His actions were proof of it. But what do our actions say about our idols? Martin Luther said that under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. Every time we sin, that sin is fed by the fact that our heart is a factory of idols, that we're building up these other things to worship instead of the Lord. And we live in a country and we live in a society that doesn't even want to call sin, sin anymore. We call it what's right for me or what's right for my family. And all the while we're proving the fact that we love creation more than we love the creator. Our actions are proving that we love stuff more than him. We do this in a lot of ways. Just a few things. Number one, we hide our idols. If we recognize we have an idol in our life, we hide it. We don't necessarily talk about it. We try and keep it from other people so that they don't see it as well. Number two, we can deny it. If we know something is an idol, then we're going to deny it over and over again. And if we have something in our lives that we're denying over and over again, it might be a good test for the fact that it's an idol. We rename it. We rename the idol with something that's much more culturally acceptable. And so some of us may have so much stuff going on in our lives that we're filling our heart with, and when it comes to the Lord asking us to do something, we say, God, I'm busy. And busy is a way for us to rename the fact that we have a pile of things that are before the Lord in our heart. Number four, we ignore it. We just hope it's going to go away. That's probably the most dangerous, when it can grow to be this giant monster. And number five, we shift blame. We look and see, well, that person's idol is much more visible than mine. That person's idol is much more worse than mine. And if we can shift the blame off of ourselves onto someone else, we'll do it in a second. What should we be doing? What are the right actions for us to take the idols in our lives? Well, if idolatry is proven by our action, then worship is proven by our action as well. And we need to be taking actions and we need to be taking steps in order to see that God is honored and God is glorified. It leads us to our bottom line for today. The worship of God requires us to see our idols, confess our idols, and kill our idols. That first we've got to see and recognize that these things are built up in our lives. And then we've got to confess them to the Lord. And then we've got to be willing to put them to death and replace them with worshiping God. And we can't grow in worshiping the Lord unless we do these things. There's no way we can do it. We can try and we can sing louder and we can raise our hands higher, but none of that is going to affect the fact that worship is a heart issue. And until we take the stuff that's in our heart out of our heart and create more room for desiring God and glorifying God, there is nothing that we can do to grow in worship. Every single one of us has idols in our life this morning that we need to see, we need to confess to God, and that we need to kill. And I hope that today, through the Word of God, that the Spirit is helping you see and realize just what those things might be in your own life. That we can't continue to live the way that we're living, but we've got to shift what we do. 
If you haven't been able to see that this morning, maybe you see some surface things, but you don't know what the deeper idols in your heart are. I hope that this morning you'll take the opportunity to pray and to ask God to reveal uh, those things to you. Or if you can't see anything at all, maybe find someone that you trust, someone that you know can speak honestly to you and ask them, hey, what, what are the idols that are in my life? Is there anything that you see that I need to give up in order to be worshiping God well? We're going to move into a time of worship. I'm going to ask the band um, to go ahead and come up. But I want this morning to be an opportunity for all of us. Like I said earlier, I pray that the Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. Because if we're going to grow in the thing that is most important to our lives as believers, and that is worshiping God and glorifying God, then we've got to be killing the things that are taking up the place in our hearts. And so this morning, we need to confess those things. And it's fitting that we are here as the body of Christ who have come together to worship We've come together to glorify God together as a body, and I believe that this morning we need to come together as a body and confess. We need to confess to God that we've desired stuff more than we've desired Him, that we've desired people more than we've desired Him. And then if we're going to grow as a church, we're going to see the glory of God come in and wreck our church and wreck our community and do something incredible through us, then we have got to grow in our worship by letting go of the stuff that is in our hearts and taking the place of God. So this morning, I want to have an opportunity for this. We're going to sing in a second, and I just want to ask you, that you would take the opportunity to confess whatever it is that God has shown you in your heart to him this morning. You've seen it. You're going to take the opportunity to confess it as sin. This week, I'm going to follow through and write a blog post that's going to help us understand what it means for us to kill our idols and how we can start taking steps to do that and replacing those things with worship. But this morning, I think it's just important that we take a simple step of confessing those things to God. And so as we we begin to sing in a minute, Uh, this room is open for you to do that. We've got a great amount of of space over here. We've got people that you can pray with. And I would just ask you that if you see those idols that God has placed in your heart, that you're bold and that you stand up and that we do this as a community of people because we are all broken people and we all have idols and hopefully we all desire to glorify God more. And so we're going to have a moment and you may want to just get on your knees where you are. You may want to come over here and pray and bring your spouse and bring your family and pray together as a family. But I would ask you to do that. Let's have this morning a visible representation of confession to God over the stuff that is in our hearts, that is in his place. You might be here this morning and you look at your heart and realize that it's all idols. That in there, there is nothing of God. Nothing of desire for him, nothing of glory for him. And I want to let you know that just like God showed grace to Solomon for his idols, the Lord wants to show grace to you this morning as well. That God desires to give you forgiveness. Like we said earlier, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you can be forgiven of those wrong desires. And this morning, he wants to give you hope and he wants to give you joy if you will be bold to see that confess it to the Lord and respond. And so I'm going to be standing over here as well as some of our pastors, and we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. If you want to come and confess that and desire for God to bring you back in a relationship with him and reconcile you back to him, we would love the chance to do that. Let's take a second and pray. God, we are thankful for this morning. We're so thankful that the gospel is good news, 
We are so thankful that despite the fact that we are broken people with broken desires, God, that you want us and you want to help us learn to love you more. God, that you want to help us set those things aside. And so I pray that this morning is an opportunity for the Church of Cane Bay to come together and say, yes, God, we have been worshiping things more than you. Lord, we confess that as sin this morning and we want to see you do something, not just in our community, but in our hearts as well. And so God, this morning we confess our sin, we confess our idols, and Lord, we pray that we can begin to be a people who grow to know what it means to desire you more, to glorify you more in all the things we do. So Lord, I pray that you give us boldness this morning to be able to step out and confess and say, yes, we've been worshiping this, but Lord, we want to worship you. We thank you for the grace you've shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin and as we stand, I want to invite you guys to be bold. Let's take the steps that we need to take to confess to God.